0: Assumptions and Estimations umdina So umdina is an idea in, in Halacha and, and we're going to have it a lot in Shas uh, We'll define it and describe it In a, in a few moments uh, But like Rav and Chazoka, Which are ideas in Halacha that enable people to stay sane. If we didn't have Rov and Chazokha, we would be uh, it would be very difficult. We would be a fundamentalist and inflexible system of, of, of law and religion if we didn't have things like Rov and Chazoka that allow for flexibility and navigation uh, of uncertain areas. So Umdina, if we didn't have umdana in Harakha we would be developing OCD syndromes in any religious person. And if you see that there are OCD syndromes in various religious people, it's probably because they don't understand the principle of umdina. So, as always in the case of, of these matmonim shirim, they're not, they're not for halachic conclusions to be drawn, that's a different discussion, but to give you a sense of the breadth of al-akhandi and, and where the navigational opportunities are, Umduna is a really very important principle to understand, and we're introduced to Umdan here in, in, in our sugya, starting in the Mishnah, on, on yesterday's daf on on Damut where the Mishnah told us, as we learned yesterday, that you can add as much in the man, can add as much onto the Ketuvah as he wants to. It doesn't have to be 100 or 200. Those are minimums. They're not maximums. Um, and the Mishnah went on to say, If the woman became widowed or divorced, whether before the Nesuim or after, whether it was during the period of Eirussim, during the betrothal period, or after the Chuppah, In either case, she gets the complete ksuba. If he put a million dollars in the ksuba, he betrothed her, and the next day he died or divorced her, she gets the full million dollars. After marriage... And the Gemara goes into that. Does that mean after they've lived together? or Does it mean after the chupah? After marriage, she can claim everything. But min Rusin, But if she, if this were to happen, if the event happens between erusin and isuin, between the betrothal and the marriage, She gets either two hundred or one hundred, depending on her status at the, at the time. Our Gemara says, on this Rabbi Lozab and Azariah says, no, she doesn't get the full, the full silver. Why not? If she gets the 100 or 200, that means the document is valid. If the document is valid, it says a million in the document. It doesn't say 100 or 200. Why does she only get one or 200? And the Mishnah says, we treat it all as one amount, you don't break the Ksuvah up. We don't break it up into the Ikar Ketuvah and the tosefet Ketuvah. It's all considered Ketuvah. So why does Rabbi Lozab and Azariah break it up in the case where the event takes place between Eru and Nisui? says the Gemara, It's Rabbi, Rav and Rabbi Nosson. al Rabbi and Azariah and chathamal al Rabbi Loza ben Azariah. We can work it out from the statement of Rav and Rabbi Nosson, one of whom said the Halakha is like Rabbi Lozab and Azariah and one who said it is isn't. But we're not sure which is which. We can assume that it's Rabbi that it was Rabbi Noson who said that the halacha is like Rabbi Loza ben Azaria. Here we have the introduction of the idea because we've heard that Rabbi Noson goes with Umdana, and this Mishnah is based on Umdana. What, is, what does that mean? Explains Rashi. We estimate his intention. When a person's not very clear, based in makes a determination that we can assume, it's an assumption based on an estimation that most people mean XYZ. We can assume that when he wrote the million dollars, he was writing it for a woman he's going to marry and live with. He didn't write it to cover just the case of the Erosin. So we interpret his intention, although it's not explicit. That's what Umden, that's what Umden means. Because the halacha is like Rabbi Nosson says, the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon Shazuri, and Rabbi Shimon Shazuri has become the, the trade name, the trademark of the principle of umdina, because he takes it further. He's called Rabbi Shimon ben, Rabbi Shimon Shazuri because he comes from a place called Shazuri, which is still up north and near Carmiel. Now it's called it's called um, Sajuri. It's a, it's a Bedouin city, and the kever of Rabbi Shime ben Shizuri is there, and it's one of those quorum that is more authentic than many of the others. The others, I don't know about authentic, but that's not the right way to use. Many of the other quorum up in the Galil, we know they were identified by the Ari. When he came to, to Israel, he knew where different... Kavorim were. But this Rabbi Shimon Shizuri's Kever uh, in in, uh, in in Sajuri is something we've known for centuries before the Ari came to Israel. So it's one of these more more established uh, mesurism that we have for, uh, for Rabbi Shimon Shizuri. Some say he's called Shizuri because he used to make it. He was Meshazer, he used to make ropes. That was their business. He was The family was a well-known business family up in the north, and that was Rabbi Shimon Shizuri. But his name is attached to this din of umdina, because he says in a case of Misukan, this is his famous case of Misukan, he extends the principle to Misukan, which Rashi explains means that if a man is dangerously ill and he says, uh, I'm giving all my my belongings away, uh, and then he recovers. We say he didn't mean to give them away, he meant instead of a will, he wanted it to go to his children, he gave it away. But but certainly, if he survived, his intention was not that it should go away. Uh, and there are a few such case, cases which we'll see. And those are all cases of, of umder. Um, where, where do we see some of this? So you'll see in the in the sources. We have a mishnah of a A person's dying. And He gives. He donates all his money to a. to a charity. But except for one property which he left, that's a valid gift. He can't, if he recovers, he can't say, I didn't mean that. But if he gave everything away, and then he recovers, that's not a valid gift because we say... as the Gemara says, clearly we're using Umdina. We're estimating what his intention was, although he wasn't explicit. This is again Rabbi Shimon Shizuri, who says that in the case of a person who's dangerously ill or is dying, we, we've got to take the, the circumstance into account when we interpret. You don't just interpret the words, you interpret the circumstance in order to understand the words. You've got to look at context. Too often we don't look at context, we just look at an event with a very narrow eye. But it's important to be able to see the context in order to understand intention. Both of a person's words or a person's actions or a law or a haloha uh, or a piece of Gomorrah, it's important to understand the context so that you can really get the, the sense of it. And in this case, the context of a shivmarav, somebody who's dying, is such that we understand why he's doing it. And if he recovers, that wasn't his ten- intention. Says Tosfus there, a very important little Tosfus at the bottom of, of, of Kufmen Vavom Beyes. Does this also work to overcome the obstacle? Of Dvarim enam Dvarim. That means that you can't interpret a document or a statement based on what what he was had in his mind at the time. Person comes along and says, let's say, forget Shivmara, just a normal person decides I'm giving a million dollars to the koilo. And then he says, I didn't really mean the kolol. I meant my children's kolol, even though they don't have a kolol. Maybe one, that was what was in my mind. We say, look, you, you said the kolol, there's only one kolol that it could possibly be. This is what it is. But that's what was in my mind. We say, we can't worry about what was in your mind. We've got to look at what you said and what's in the document. Dvorim believe v'enam dvorim. You can't start worrying about what people say their intention was. says Tosphus, but when there's contextual evidence about what his intention was. Does that overcome the issue of Dvorim Shebeleif? And Tosvitz doesn't resolve it there, but he does say, I deal with it. And it's interesting, Tosvitz is here, I have a long Tosvitz in Daf Mem Tesamud Beis. You'll see how long the Tosvitz is. The the Tosvitz is five lines. That's already a long long Tosvitz for for Tosvitz. So what's the in Ksubitz? There we've got a man who's planning to go on Aliyah living in Bovel and he plans on going on Aliyah, and he's got going already with Nefesh Benefesh and he's got everything, he's got his papers organized but things turn wrong and he he sells his property in Bovel and then things go wrong and he can't get to to, uh, Israel. The bureaucracy holds him up and he's got to cancel his plans and now he wants his property back. Uh, So what do we say? His intention was only because of but He didn't say that. He sold his property outright. He didn't say it's conditional on my going to Eretz Israel. Um, that means that at the time he didn't explain as Rashi, that I'm doing this in order to go to, on Eretz Israel. Because if he would have said that, then clearly his sale would have been cancelled. If he would have said, I'm, I'm selling this property because I'm going to Eretz Israel, his trip gets cancelled and he wants his property back we would say sure you made it very clear it was really a conditional sale i'm selling the property on condition i go to israel so asks toisvis but there isn't a tnai kafu how does that condition even work even if we even if he said it I'm selling my property in order to go to Eitz There's a principle of you need a tznai kafu. When you make a condition, it has to be a double condition. I'm selling the property on condition, I go to Eitz And in the event that I don't go to Eitz my sale is not valid. You've actually got to spell it out. That's a tznai kaful, which we learn from B'nei Gad and B'nei it Says It yeah, here, even if he says it out... There's no tz'nai kafu, it's a, it's a very vague statement, certainly if he doesn't even say it. Answers to this is one of these tz'nai and then one has to know and remember and, and, and refer back to always. Deyesh <inaudible> dvarim Don't get fundamentalist and bureaucratic about this tznikafu. Don't work like, like a, a government official. If it isn't there, then it's, you're sorry, can't do anything. Don't work like an Israeli banker. Sorry, this line is not filled out. It's, well, you've got to fill all the papers out again because it's all messed up. It's not, it's not like that. There's some, sometimes you look at the context, sometimes you don't need the Tznai kaful. The Torah says you do. And a gilui milta, the anan da da hachi avid. Sometimes the Tznai kaful is implied. There's a gilui milta, it's revealed. If you just unpeel the circumstance, you can see what's under the surface. And once you've done that, we have another important principle in the Halakha Anan Sahadi. We are the witnesses. Once we've peeled it, we are the experts. And if you peel away the layers, you can see what his intention was. You can see exactly what, what he meant. And then Tosva says, and I've put this in parenthesis, which I think is the right way to understand the milte Some things you don't even need a giluimilta. milte. Gilu milte means circumstance and context reveals intention. Sometimes you don't even need circumstance and context. If a person writes all his property to somebody else, And afterwards he discovered he has a son. He didn't know he had a son. So he get, wrote all of his property away to the, to the khalil, and then he discovered that he had a son to inherit him. We establish, I, we, we work that out. There's no context, context. There's nothing to prove it, but we determine, this is an omed d'at. We estimate that that was his intention. So Toysvah introduces two different but closely related ideas. Anand Sahadi, if you peel the layers, you will see. It will be obvious. You just have to peel the layers. Look at the context. And then there's one where you can't even peel the layers, but where based in does umdina, based in makes an estimation. What does umdina mean? And this is the important part of the whole matmonium. What does is, what is umdina mean? For that, we've got to go to a, a Gemara in Menachos, where the gemorah says, When you're taking truma, truma is the 100th, which we do now when we get uh, vegetables or fruit in Israel that haven't been taken truma, we take truma. We take truma, which is just over 100th. And we take truma's miser, which is a 10th, a of the Miser. So we take it, Miser is a tenth, and then a tenth of the tenth is Trumasa Miser, and Trumagadola is a mashu. You've got to give something, but we give a, around about a hundred. Now, if you see somebody measuring their fruits and weighing their fruits in order to get to the amount, that's an Amoritz who hasn't learned Gemara Monarchus. Because the Gemara says, just as Trumagadola is done by Omed of a So Trumas (laughs) Meisel says, "Rashi bless you." What is oimed? You've got a whole lot of fruit. You don't have to measure it. Estimate it. Make an estimate. Approximate. It doesn't have to be exact. This is a really important, um, uh, an important idea. Uh, I have a friend I haven't seen for many, many, many years. Who used to be in Johannesburg, Rav Rogoznitski, a very big Talmud Chacham. His father was a, a, a Lithuanian, a Telzer from Lithuania, and was the Rav in Cardiff, in Wales. His father was a very big Talmud Kochum as well. And Rav Rogoznitski told me that they, they used to ask his father sometimes, come Pesach, like, how big is the matzah? How much is a kazayas? And he would kind of say it's about, he would paste, break, bake a piece of matzah and say it's about this big. But how many grams? He says, I don't know how many grams. Uh, how many inches? How many centimeters? I don't know how many inches. <laughs> I know what my father used to use. It was about a piece like this. And that's what my that's all I know. That, that's Omed. Uh, a kiddush cup. How big does a kiddush cup? Yeah, you can go and measure the cc's and so on now. The Chazanish introduced precise measurement after the war um, when he realized we'd lost him a source. It's all very well for Rav Rogoznitski to say, this is what my father did. This is what my did. But what about somebody who didn't have a father, didn't have a rabbi? He was a young child when his father was wiped out in the Holocaust. And so to the Fazun ish, reintroduced, to help people deal with these things, measurements. But his intention, I'm sure, was not that this should replace Omed and that we should get to a situation of OCD where everybody's obsessive-compulsive about exactly how much and exactly how big, you know. It's Omed. You get a sense after you've done it for many years, you have a sense of how big the matzah is. You have a sense of how much truma is, how much maizah is. Omed allows you to operate in in halakha without becoming OCD. So that's the idea I want you to see. Umdine, you'll see, there's a lomdisha principle. Umdine is an important learning principle that we'll have in all, all sorts of places in Shastas you're already seeing. Ksubis, Kiddushin, Bovakama, Menachas, just today, we've already seen how many Mesechtas it is. Um, but more important is just the concept of Umdinah. That there are times when it, when one has to be very very precise. Uh, the arboim saw of a mikveh has to be very precise. You can't use your mind. It's you can't you can't estimate that. But there are things which you can estimate, and in those situations we don't go crazy. We we estimate, and even when it comes to interpretation of intention and documents, there are situations where we will use anan sahadi. Peel the layer and see the context, and then you can see the real thing. And sometimes it's, it's not even that. You can't even see the real thing. But you can still interpret by estimating based on what most people intend in such a circumstance or situation.